and welcome to Sinister Soup, the show where we talk about fantasy, science fiction, genre fiction of all sorts through the lens of ridiculous conversation and sometimes author interviews like today. My name, one of your hosts, is Travis Vermolum. And my name is Clay Vermolum. And today we are talking to Andrea Clark, the author of the independent science fiction novel Waves of Dissonance. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. And you have a, uh, a whole series, right, Andrea? <laughs> it's not, the other parts are not written yet. I'm working on a prequel that is actually the a grandmother of Waverly that's in this book. They're not, they're all standalone, but they are, it is a prequel. And then I'm going to have a sequel that will also be far enough in the future to be distinctly different. That's fantastic. Before we really jump into sort of the world of Waves of Dissonance, just a opening question of when did you become a writer? Uh, <laughs> I guess I guess that depends on what you consider being a writer. I started writing this novel long, long time ago, back in probably 1997. So maybe that's when I became a writer, but I didn't... Uh, I started submitting it and all that kind of stuff, but I actually published this one just in 2020. So that's sort of when I think I became a writer. Uh, Yeah, weird that you chose 2020 as the plague year back in the (laughs) 90s. Yeah, that's what I've been editing it for 23 years. And finally, when 2020 hit, I got the book back out again and I was going to do yet another round of editing and I started looking at it and I was like, oh honey, do you remember that this said the plague of 2020? I have to publish this year. It's just too crazy. And I mm-hmm. went back and looked at all my old edits and it was probably in 2015 that I added that date. Wow. That's awesome. You, uh, you saw it coming. You tried to tell us. <laughs> if only they would have published your book back right? in 2016. Maybe we could have avoided all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in, I hope this one doesn't go like it does in my book, because that was a little bit more devastating. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do also hope that. Because <laughs> um, it goes pretty sideways in your book. It does. Which uh, I was going to ask a question about that. I thought it was interesting that it was a biological, like biological warfare, um, which killed off all the leaders, but then society decided to divide along uh, gender specific roles, um, gender specific societies. Um, And I was wondering why you chose that point uh, as the point on which society would pivot and separate. That's a great question. I think really it was all from the technology. When I started writing it, I I had this idea for a different world of how things would be. And I was reading engineering magazines or scientific magazines, and I read about parthenogenesis in natural animals and how they do it. And I just thought that was fascinating that that could really happen. And so that sort of triggered this thing. Well, wow, what if that happened in humans and humans could reproduce using only female eggs and then they wouldn't have men, but what would that look like? And how would that work? And how would it evolve? And this is sort of the, if that were to evolve, this would be the earliest stage of, of making that happen. 
Mm. But it's not actually natural in my book, though, because now they use parthenogenesis labs to extract female eggs to make it happen. But in in nature, it apparently really happens. I like how uh, you did that in your story as well. Your story does a good job of walking that line between showing like, yes, it's very important to like have uh, equality of the sexes, but you showed how the dark side of humanity is present on each side. Right. Um, like I love that speech from <laughs> from the mother at the graduation ceremony where she's like, we got to get rid of all sexism, even if that means getting rid of all the men. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> totally. Right. Yeah, I love it. Well, that was part of my, I'm glad you noticed that because that was part of it. People are saying things, but they don't hear what they're saying. They don't understand that. Wait, wait a minute. What you just said isn't right at all (laughs) and that sort of led to the title i didn't even know what cognitive dissonance was until after i wrote the book and several edits into it found out about cognitive dissonance where people just think this is true and so they make their own world fit into something that isn't true so that way they don't end up being the bad guy Mm-hmm. And so in their own mind, that keeps them the good guy and they can keep going along a good girl or good guy. And they're just warped, but they don't see it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think cognitive dissonance is disturbingly ever more present in our day to day lives because social media like perpetrates cognitive dissonance on a level that has never been never been so prominent in our society before. It's like, unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy because everything yeah. you see is like it's tailored by the algorithm to be something that the algorithm thinks you want to see. If I if I like say a few comments, my computer hears me say a few comments about say something liberal, then I'll never hear Republican side of the story again. Right. You know? yep. I just everything I see is liberal and I'm like, so if I wasn't paying attention, I'd be like, the other side is just evil, period. You right. Know? And, and, and I've been called evil and, and it's just crazy. It's like, no, no, we're all, it's still me. I'm still Andrea. You know me I, I'm, to people who do know me, <laughs> but if they're on the other side, they think I'm evil. And if I only listen to one side, it's exactly what you just said. I would think that they're evil too. And someone, something cognitive dissonance is making this divide worse. It's every day almost, especially for the last year it seems every time i would hear something on the news i was just like hit the floor like wait a minute that happens in my book this is i need to Mm -hmm. get the word out we need to stop doing this it's Mm -hmm. we're hurting ourselves when you started writing the book like in your earlier iterations and stuff did you where where did this interest in politics kind of stem from that you blended it and had as backdrop well there's bigger politics in it The, the first thing that made me see that this is happening is that I was in a, in a study group and we were reading a certain book and in the book when I was reading it ahead of time I noticed that this the author it was sort of a nonfiction. they were saying something that yeah I don't I don't think that's true and then they went on and the more I read it no that wasn't true and so in the study group I expected my friends just to be calling a big flag on the field on that (laughs) and they didn't instead they quoted the author without even knowing they were doing it they quoted the author and kept going 
And I was just dumbfounded. Do you, do you hear what you just said? That's no, look at me. That's not real. <laughs> and so I think that's where that stemmed from. And that wasn't real politics, but then it went from there. Yeah. Even if it's not happening, even if it's happening in a fictional world, it all, it all reflects real life. Uh, all good fiction reflects reflects real life. And uh, I would count your book among those books that are definitively good fiction because it, it definitely does a good job of doing that. Oh, thank you very much. That's exciting to hear. Uh, it's just nice to talk to people who get it. So do you know a roofer? I thought it was interesting because Travis here, Travis here is a roofer. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. I, I roofed, for, <laughs> roofed for about eight years. So. <laughs> so was it all believable? I'll ask you that first. I mean, yeah, from what I've read of the, that part, it, it is. I mean, <laughs> a little darker, I think, than some of the crew I worked with, but definitely believable in the, in the way you portray <laughs> So I'm an architect by day, and mm. so I have some, I know a bit about roofing, but only how you put it together on plans. So I was asking my husband about it and he's a firefighter and on the side was doing carpentry work and was a journeyman carpenter. So he gave me all that stuff, the, some of that vernacular, <laughs> the carpenters say that's from him. So I'll give him, him all credit for that. Ah, yeah. yes. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. I thought you did a pretty good job of, uh, showing kind of realistically where some of those ideas that men have about women, uh, could come from mm -hmm. uh, like the uh, fireman thing when he's like I don't trust her to carry my dead weight <laughs> down a flight of stairs right or whatever and that's where like it's sexism nonetheless but you know I thought it was interesting that you put it from a place where to that male character it felt justified right mm -hmm. yeah because well, he's heard it his whole career and right or wrong there's people that have differences of opinion yeah that was the male's perspective. I think it's always, it's excellent that you brought out that kind of voice too. Cause I always, there's something about like having worked on those crews and such that I'm automatically drawn to fiction that really expresses the dialogue in a, in a realistic way. There's a lot of Mark Wahlberg movies that I, I wouldn't really consider good movies, but I, I just infinitely want to rewatch them because like the scripts are written in that same way where like you captured the voice of these blue collar workers and like the way they kind of discuss with each other, even if it's a dark subject. And there's something about that that kind of just brings me home to those construction crews. And I'm like, yeah, I'm invested in this story now. And so oh, good. Yeah. Hey, that's nice to hear. When did you start to sort of think about blending technology? We've talked about politics and the division of sexes and the sort of like issues of equality and broader subjects sort of theorized subjects but where did you think about like blending in that sort of innovative technology you talked about the engineering magazine but was there a little more to that with uh kind of bringing the technology into that fantasy portion well it's almost like your technology is uh so outlandish sounding in a way but it also sounds like it could be right around the corner because we're on one of those weird cusps of time right now yeah. where it's like this sounds like the telepathic link is specifically what i'm thinking of um like it sounds like fantasy but um you have created this technology in your world as well that it's like 
but it isn't magic. It's actually science, and and this is how it works. Yeah, a lot of that was from just reading and researching things, and I would see little things in the news, and then I'd go research that, and it's, oh yeah, I could use that in my book. And the holograms. I, mean, I remember reading an article. I have bought boxes of articles on things, and some of those are when I was researching this probably 20 years ago was on the cusp of reality at that point. So for all I know, it's really happening somewhere. I'm for my next book that takes place in the past. Now, um, there's some news things that are happening right now that I'm just so excited about that. Well, it's not good stuff, but because <laughs> that wouldn't be interesting for a book, but it's all real and I'm taking it and just making it fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, is uh, did you decide to write the prequel, uh, the prequel before 2020 actually happened, or when 2020 happened, were you like, all right, well, I gotta, I already have like this book idea, I gotta like make hay while the sun's shining, basically. <laughs> I always had the plan to make the prequel and a sequel. I just never, I, I really didn't know how I wanted the sequel to go, but I have this whole outline of how this world came to be. I have a timeline that takes it all the way back from when Waverly's grandmother was young and developed the ad race. And so it's like, well, you know, I already have this world. I All I have to do is just write it up because I already know what happens. But then as I, it's just fascinating. As I started writing it and then inputting some things that are, because ha- it's right now, and it's I think 2019 is when the prequel is to take place. And so I'm just pulling out some things that are happening in the news today. And that's um, about mind control and spies and interesting (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Where did you get this idea for the uh, building, the, the building that moves? I forget what it's called in the book. The info swirl. It doesn't move. People move around it. I, you know, that's a great question. I, I, wrote that part so long ago, I don't really remember where it came from. I'm an architect, so I'm sure I was playing around and just drew up something. I have early sketches of how it will look. And by the way, another coincidence, (laughs) it looks just like the Amazon headquarters that they're planning to build in Crystal City, Virginia, which is- No way. (laughs) Google it, they're calling it the, the helix, the double helix or the helix or something. And it looks just like I've sketched up years and years ago about the info swirl, except they have greenery on the top, but mm. then people couldn't slide down the info swirl, so that wouldn't work. But when I saw that, well, actually my husband found it and he came in, I was working, he came into my office and just bowed down to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I take back everything I said, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, wow. That's great. Can people surf down the the helix? I don't think so because they've put trees on on the slopes. Mm-hmm. It, it's not built yet. It might not be built. I think they're having troubles getting approval. But when I first mm-hmm. saw it, it was just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know, you think of all the other coincidences. I wrote this way before the Me Too movement. And in my mm-hmm. book, there's the Ma'am Revolution, the movement against aggressive men. So it's all very similar. I just needed to have picked out some good lotto numbers in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were on it. I was, as I was reading it, I was like, this is a very topical. Um, (laughs) 
So I, that was one of my questions was when when did you start writing this? Because it seems, yeah, like you were right on the money with so many things. You were uh, able to predict where a lot of those things were trending towards. Or whether you were trying to, uh, were you trying to like, is this what you kind of thought the future was headed towards? Obviously, it's an exaggerated oh, no. version. No, but... no, I had no idea. You know what? Um, I remember if you all have ever read the Galapagos by Kurt Vonnegut, mm-hmm. I just thought when I read that, it was so fascinating because it was a million years into the future and what people had evolved into. So no intention of that ever happening. But I remember <laughs> that giving me some ideas just that, wow, just think outside the box. What, what could possibly happen? So no, I had no idea or intention of this being foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely had uh, a thumb on the pulse of something. So that's impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I was interested in um, some of my friends, because I would consider myself a feminist, even though I'm not 100% sure what that means, except I think everybody should have equality. And when I had my early drafts, they were even darker. And I remember one of my friends was saying, well, but the female side is just as bad as the male side. And I remember just looking at her dumbly because, well, that what it's supposed to be. <laughs> I don't know. We're all, we all have it in us to be the best of us and the worst of us. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if I fail in that. I, I think that's one of the things I'm curious about in the long run, if I will have failed in that aspect of being a good feminist. I think the only way you could fail as a good feminist would be to not show the darker side of both sides. Because to me, like pretending that that doesn't exist is more harmful to the cause than honesty is. Mm-hmm. I like to that. Any Thank cause. you. Yeah. yeah, I think in like fictional characters, just not even failing in like the political sense, but I think a failure in any like character building sense is when you have a character that is completely flawless. Like there's Mm -hmm. the constant argument between Superman and Batman. And a lot of people are like more people are always like, Oh, I love Batman because he's like dark and gritty and flawed. And they're like, what about Superman? He's more powerful. It's like, yeah, he's boring. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) doesn't come off as like a real person. Right. Mm -hmm. Flaws, but. Yeah, I think just about everybody in my novel has flaws. We should call him <laughs> Super One. No. Oh, that's right. Good one. <laughs> yeah. So we have to do away with those terms like Superman. Bat yes. One, Super One, uh-huh. Spider One. <laughs> Cat One. Cat One. Yeah. Good. I like Both it. Sides. Yep. Wonder mm-hmm. One. Wonder. <laughs> People are going to wonder what you're talking about. They are. If you haven't read the book, that whole joke is not going to land. So you should go read the book because it's excellent. Yay, thank you. Of course. On that note, I'm going to read a little bit of this book for all of you. So we are going to transition here into a excerpt from the novel Waves of Dissonance. As she passed the altar rail, the senator paused, as everyone suspected she would and smiled down at her daughter, which caused the girl to break into one of her trademark grins. On screen, both momentarily seemed to forget the crowds and the cameras. Those in attendance bumped elbows and pointed. Those watching from home sat back and smiled. All felt privileged to be witnessing this tender, private moment between mother and daughter. Then Buford winked and stepped briefly out of sight while the camera stayed focused on Kat's face. The next thing, the view changed. 
The woman had already climbed into the overhead wooden pulpit and was staring down the congregation like a bird of prey from her lofty perch. My friends, she started, turning her gaze directly on the camera. We are gathered here this morning to celebrate the Lyta Keys Charter Class as they commemorate their high school graduation and to acknowledge their accomplishments and bright futures. It is not a time to discuss politics or today's upcoming election. This morning, we have put aside our concerns about any outside turmoil and have come to honor these young women as they are propelled into life's next journey. As you know, these lucky girls have lived in peace their entire lives. They have never been exposed to men or to boys. Remarkably, this class, which began 12 years ago, achieved a 100% graduation rate. This marks a true milestone in the Lytakis' history, and we are exceptionally delighted. As always, Buford stood perfectly erect when she spoke. Although she occasionally emphasized key points using her hands, she contained herself within the podium's confines and rarely raised her voice. This calm demeanor was what fueled her critics when they challenged her as cold and impassionate, but what her supporters praised as no-nonsense and genuine. Our candidate doesn't slouch over the pulpit, arm wave or fist pound like some other televangelists, her followers had been quick to point out, referring to her opponent, Senator Danforth. She doesn't have to yell to show passion. Her poise exudes confidence, dignity, and integrity. I like you, Buford continued, holding out her hands and then crossing them over her heart. Feel mixed emotions today. On the one hand, I am proud. Proud of our daughters who, at the age of 18, are now the newest members of the Lytaki. Proud that this generation has never experienced sex discrimination or harassment. Never experienced fear walking alone at night or worried about an unplanned pregnancy since getting pregnant is now a choice. One for which they must apply and is not something to be entered into lightly without a permit. When we first created our Lytaki, no one thought it would last. The word Lytaki was unfamiliar back then, and a society giving rise solely to a female offspring was untested in humans. No one in New Canaan thought we could be sustainable without men. They expected our little experiment to fail, but it didn't. Just look at these girls. This graduation class proves that peace and harmony are achievable as long as women are in charge. The cathedral's congregation erupted into applause, and every female spectator at home nodded in agreement. After a few moments, Buford smiled, the motion for silence. As a mother, I cannot tell you how proud that makes me. I must admit, though, that as a mother I am also concerned. Concerned for my daughter's future, and for women everywhere if we don't win today's election. Catherine's legs were going numb, her feet ached, and her cheeks hurt from too much smiling. Would this ceremony ever end? She wondered. Heat from an overhead spot warmed her face. To the cameras, she offered her best well-rehearsed smile. 
but inside she didn't feel much like smiling. She wiggled her toes in frustration. These new shoes are killing me, she thought, grinding her teeth. I should have known Mom would pull something like this. Who does she think she's fooling with that this is not a time to discuss politics crap? It was probably her intention all along to turn my graduation into one last campaign speech. Now, now, came a voice inside her head. Give your mom a break. These polls open in a few minutes and she should probably be out there. Catherine tried hard not to roll her eyes. Not now, Jordan, she thought, being careful not to speak aloud. I'm on camera. Go away. Well, I'm just saying, she's making a sacrifice to be there with you. It couldn't have been easy with her schedule. When Cat pretended to ignore him, he added, Hey, you know what I think? Duh. She shot back. It was an old joke of theirs. Of course she knew what he was thinking. She and Jordan had been telepathically connected for years. For as long as either of them could remember. I think you're being too hard on her, Jordan continued. She could have been a no-show, you know. Stop it, Jordan, and thanks for taking her side, she thought and pursed lips. As always. Well, it's election day and just quit it, Jordan. I mean it. I don't want to hear this right now. Go away. But no! Oops. Had she really said that last word out loud? That was an excerpt from Waves of Dissonance by Andrea Clark. If you enjoyed that, please go over to Kindle um, or Amazon, where you can purchase the book for yourself. I highly recommend it. Uh, Andrea has an excellent talent for weaving sociopolitical elements into a, well, now it's modern, but futuristic feeling setting. It's one of those books that is creepily close to reality in in its sci-fi elements um, and it's a great read very fast-paced uh, I didn't stop reading till 50 pages in when I started so I would definitely recommend Wave of, Waves of Dissonance and if you want to find any information on Andrea's up, upcoming books or uh, stories or any of that where can we find you Andrea? You can find me at uh, notionwaves.com www.notionwaves.com perfect and thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's been excellent chatting with you about your book, and we're hoping that people go out there and purchase. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. All right. That's going to be a podcast, everybody. Today's featured guest of the month was Andrea Clark, author of Waves of Dissonance and of more novels to come soon, we hope, uh, because she's right on that sociopolitical pulse of the world right now. So until next week, I have been Clay Vermolum. And I have been Travis Vermolum. And we are both still those people.